Hey, it's Brian, and I hope by now you're not surprised to find me in your podcast feed so early before Christmas. These Burr Month bonus episodes are a thing I'm doing now, and I'll be releasing roughly one a week until the 2019 season of Christmas Past officially starts on Thanksgiving Day. These bonus episodes are a little more free-form. I'm sharing stuff with you that I think you'll like, and that will make your Burr Months a little more merry and bright. And today, I'm going to read you a classic Christmas story, maybe something to snuggle up with at bedtime on a crisp autumn evening. But before we get to that, let me get through a handful of quick announcements. First, thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review recently on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews let me know what you think, and they help more people find the show. So if you leave a review, I will send you a Christmas card containing a Christmas Past sticker, any time of year. Just get in touch with me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com for details. Second, that email address is also the place to send me your Christmas memory to be included in an episode this season. Record yourself into your phone's voice recorder app and remember to keep it short, like a minute, give or take, and then send it sometime very soon, because the season will be here before you know it. Again, that's christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Third, speaking of the season, I'm doing a live show this year at the Great Dickens Christmas Fair in San Francisco in November. I'm teaming up with Tim Babb from Can't Wait for Christmas for a fun and very Victorian hour of Christmas spirit. If you're in the area, I'd love to see you there. Fourth, I'll be appearing at ChristmasCon in Edison, New Jersey on November 9th. If you haven't heard about it yet, ChristmasCon is a new conference where you can see and meet the stars of your favorite Christmas movies, like Lacey Chabert, Alicia Witt, and Jonathan Bennett. And I'll be there as part of a Christmas podcasters panel, joined by Tim Babb of Can't Wait for Christmas, Bran, Panda, and Dan from Deck the Hallmark, and Alonzo Duralde from The Wrap will moderate. Get your tickets at thatsforentertainment.com. That's that's the number four, entertainment.com. Fifth, well, this is a lot of announcements, the Christmas Past iPhone app is coming. I don't have a lot of details on exactly when, but it is coming and I'll have more details soon. And finally, big news. 2019 seems to be the year for new Christmas events. Maybe it's the breakout year, and that's very exciting for people like you and me. So I thought you'd want to know about Christmasland on December 15th in Los Angeles. It's an immersive Christmas movie experience. When you walk into Christmasland, you'll feel like you're walking into your favorite Christmas movies. With a gingerbread decorating competition, a crafting corner, carolers serenading, you'll be sure to get all the feels. There will also be a live panel with some Hallmark favorites. So follow Christmasland Experience on Instagram, at Christmasland Experience, and stay tuned for ticket sale announcements. There might even be some giveaways along the way as well. And I have a feeling I'll have more to say about Christmasland in a future Burr Month's bonus episode, which is just one more reason to make sure you are subscribed. Okay, thank you for listening to all the announcements. Now, let me tell you a story. I think it was Mark Twain who once said that a classic is a story that everyone agrees is great, but nobody ever reads. That could certainly apply to O. Henry's The Gift of the Magi. Most people are aware that it's considered a classic Christmas story and could probably give you a basic description of the plot, but if most people read it, probably not. So I'm going to fix that right now. Grab your favorite blanket and a cup of hot cocoa, maybe light a candle. And here's a tip for you. You'll enjoy this story so much more if you wear pajamas while you listen. But wherever you are and however you choose to listen, this is O. Henry's 
the gift of the Magi. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. That was all. And sixty cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della counted it. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. And the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Della did it. Which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home. A furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicancy squad. In the vestibule below was a letter box into which no letter would go, and an electric button for which no mortal finger would coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor was being paid $30 a week. Now, when the income was shrunk to 20, though, they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della, which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with the powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months with this result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim. Her gym. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him. Something fine and rare and sterling. Something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen a pier glass in an $8 flat. A very thin and very agile person may, by observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della, being slender, had mastered the art. Suddenly she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within twenty seconds. Rapidly she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now, there are two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out the window someday to dry just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee, 
and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again, nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed onto the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket, on went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sophronie, hair goods, all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself, panting. Madame, large, too white, chilly, hardly looked the Sophronie. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Madame. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor, she was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him. Quietness and value. The description applied to them both. $21 they took from her for it, and she hurried home with the 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly, on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Within 40 minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he takes a second look at me, he'll say that I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven o'clock, the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair away down in the first flight and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying a little silent prayer about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, please God, make him think I am still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only 22 and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat and he was without gloves. Jim stopped inside the door, as unmovable as a setter at the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not read, and it terrified her. It was not anger, not surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. 
He simply stared at her, fixedly, with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You don't mind, do you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I've gotten for you. You've cut off your hair? asked Jim laboriously, as if he had not arrived at that patent fact even after the hardest mental labor. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? Jim looked about the room curiously. You say your hair is gone, he said, with an air of almost idiocy. You needn't look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you, sold and gone too. It's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs on my head were numbered, she went on with sudden serious sweetness, but nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. For ten seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week, or a million a year, what's the difference? A mathematician or a wit could give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell, he said, about me. I don't think there is anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that would make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. White fingers and nimble tore at the string and paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, and then, alas, a quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the Flat. For there lay the combs, the set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful, vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. And now they were hers. But the tresses that should have adorned the coveted ornaments were gone. But she hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and a smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a little singed cat and cried, Oh, oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, said he, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now, suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men. 
who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of the house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are the wisest. They are the magi. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the gift of the Magi. Until next time, which will be very soon, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. We can keep this conversation going on social media. Look for Christmas Past on Twitter and Instagram. And also, if you haven't yet joined the Christmas Past Facebook group, you're missing out on a lot of fun and a lot of Christmas spirit. I hope to welcome you there soon. As always, you can reach me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com and find more Christmas fun, including articles, quizzes, and much, much more at christmaspast.media.